scripture reading today comes from the New Testament Gospel of Matthew. And if you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn to Matthew chapter 1 as we read verses 18 to 25. And you'll find it on page 1497, page 1497 of the Church Bible. Most of you are aware that over the last couple of weeks we've been spending our Sunday mornings in the epistle of 1 John, away to the end of the New Testament, and we have been focusing on the nature and character of God incarnate in Christ. And so this morning we're turning for this final Sunday in Advent to a well-known passage from Matthew's Gospel, and it begins with highlighting for us the birth of Jesus. So we read Matthew chapter 1 at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us This reading from his holy word. A couple of years ago for Christmas, my son Michael gave me what I think is one of the best gifts I've ever received. It was a whole series of DVDs on natural history programs. And of course, some of the programs focused on the Serengeti in the African plain there in Kenya and Tanzania. Others of them were focused on Yosemite and the Grand Canyon. But one of my favorites, the entire program was given over to following closely a typical year in the life of a grizzly bear. And quite honestly, I am very fond of grizzlies. I had an opportunity to get reasonably close to some when photographing them several years ago now, certainly more than 10 years, uh, in Calgary in Canada. And they are absolutely enormous. 600 pounds a male grizzly. Just over six feet in length, stands between three and four feet off the ground when they're on all fours. And of course, when they're eyes up, they're well over six feet. And so they are impressive, to say the least. But of course, any wildlife photographer trying to capture grizzlies for a program not only focuses on dad, but also will focus on mom. And when the cubs come along, of course, they follow the cubs. 
And one of the things I learned watching was this. That grizzly cubs, like most bear cubs, when they're following mom and dad, especially in those early days, they are watching where the parents are walking and they are putting their paws on the same pathway. They tend, by and large, especially in those early days, not to go off to the left or the right, but follow that well-trod path where mom and dad has already been. And of course, they are learning that if mom and dad can walk there, they can walk there as well. They know it's solid ground, a proven pathway. And so it is in the process of walking that they're learning. And that just fascinated me as soon as I saw it. And this morning as we come to Matthew's Gospel, we're going to focus on Joseph. And Joseph is learning as he's walking. Joseph is about to meet God in an unprecedented manner. He's going to sense the hand of God upon his life. He is about to be transformed, heart and mind and soul. And he's learning as he's walking. And as we come to Matthew 1, verse 18, we read those famous words. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And not only are those familiar words, not only are those words we have been brought up with, not only do we know them well, not only have we heard them many, many times, but we are somewhat tempted to think that's how Matthew's Gospel begins. And you think, could a gospel possibly begin in a better way than with those words? This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. But you're educated enough in biblical studies to know that's not how Matthew begins his gospel, is it? Matthew begins his gospel in a strange manner. He begins, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And he goes on and on and on and on with a list of names. He lists 14 generations, then another 14, and then another 14. Most of us, I think, are tempted to, when we come to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, those opening words, we see the list of names, we're tempted just to skip over them and get into what we think is the meat of the passage. The birth of Christ. But the question is this. Of all the ways Matthew could begin his gospel, why does he begin with a list of people? There are 51 names, some of them kings, some of them merchants, some of them military leaders, some of them shepherds, one a governor, one a carpenter, males and females, Jews, Gentiles, some famous, some infamous. And the question is, why? Why begin with a list of names? And I would suggest this, that as Matthew is writing his gospel, 
what he is saying to his first century readers and what he is saying to the 21st century readers. When you read, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Matthew is saying, pause for a second and grasp the enormity of what takes place immediately before. Because by listing one generation after another, after another, after another, all the way back to Abraham, what is he doing? He is telling us that God never works in a cultural or theological or historical vacuum. God has been at work since eternity past preparing for the birth of Christ. He was at work in the life of Abraham and Isaac and Judah and his brothers. And as each generation goes by, God was at work. His hand was on them, shaping and fashioning them, moving towards the completion and fulfillment of his eternal decrees. And that's why you have one name after another, after another. And he's saying it is in the process of living out their faith, the process of walking close to God, that's when they're learning. When they take those ancient paths, those well-trod trails, Places that can be trusted. All of that is enclosed here, highlighted for us. The hand of God was at work down through the generations preparing for the birth of Christ. And when we come to the passage, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And Mary at this time of year, and rightly so, gets a lot of attention. In fact, back in our first Sunday in Advent this year, December 1, Claire spent an entire Sunday morning focusing on Mary and Mary's response to Gabriel. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. A remarkable lady. No question. But in Matthew's Gospel... Joseph is mentioned more than Mary. Isn't that strange? Because we are, of course, tempted to think that Mary has a higher profile. But in Matthew, the focus is on Joseph. Is that a popular understanding of the Gospels? Probably not. In most nativity scenes you see, you will see, of course, at one end you will have the wise men, and then maybe at this end, of course, you have the shepherds, donkey, some sheep, manger scene with Mary looking down on the Christ child. And usually Joseph is kind of standing in the background, just watching, observing. Doesn't bring Gifts as the three wise men. Angel hasn't told them out in the hill country that the Savior is to be born. Joseph is just there, watching, observing. But I think we're in danger of doing Joseph a disservice. 
This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now I pause for a second to encourage you to use your imagination. Journey back all those years to the first century and put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Here was Joseph marrying Mary. They were engaged to be married. It was a binding contract. And then Mary says, Joseph, we need to talk. And Joseph says, of course. And he's looking forward to it. Because he's fallen in love with Mary. He is utterly infatuated by her. When he's not with her, he thinks of her. He can't wait to see her smile. Can't wait to hear her speak. He thinks of how she looks, her hair, her face. He's deeply in love with Mary. Can't wait to see her again. And when they meet and talk, Mary begins to explain that she's about to have a baby. And it was the Holy Spirit who planted that seed in her womb. Now, how would you respond if you were Joseph? I imagine Joseph would be utterly speechless. I imagine he would look at Mary and look at her again and try to process what she's just said. And I imagine him saying, I'm sorry, say say that again. And when she says it again, he says, But I thought you loved me. I thought we were going to get married. I had our future all worked out. And now you're about to have a baby. Mary, what is going on here? Would you be overwhelmed with a sense of betrayal and hearts and pain? Grief? Very possibly. His entire world was now crumbling in front of him. Can you imagine what he was going through? And somewhere in the back of his mind, he's thinking, Mary, how could you possibly do this and then claim God is behind it? Mary, what on earth are you thinking? Really? Can you imagine that conversation? I imagine Joseph said, Mary, I need to go. I can't talk to you just now. And he left. And I imagine him walking around, thinking hard, trying to process. How is he going to tell his parents? How is he going to tell his friends? How is he going to break off the engagement, separate from Mary? All of this is running through his mind. Here was Mary who just looked at him and took his breath away. And now all of this 
naturally, he thinks, a quiet separation is the way to go. And we can see that right there because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. And then things change again. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, how is Joseph to respond to that? Amidst all of the grief and the hurt and the pain, he falls asleep and an angel of God speaks to him. And do you notice what his first words are? Joseph, son of David. Why? Why not simply refer to him as Joseph? Why add son of David? Because once again, here is the angel saying, Joseph, God has been at work in the past. Your ancestors walked those familiar trails, those ancient paths, those solid grounds. They learned as they walked. And Joseph, just as God was every bit as active in their lives, Joseph, he is active in your life. And you have this enormous privilege. Joseph, try to take in the monumental, unprecedented nature of what is about to occur. And Joseph, you are right at the center of it all. And I imagine that as Joseph lay there sleeping, the dream was now changing him again, causing him to reconsider, to think, to reassess, to try to come to terms with all that God was doing. And here was Joseph trying to understand a mind enlarged, his eyes open spiritually to all that God was doing. And the betrayal and the pain and the heart was slipping away. And here was Joseph at the very heart of the intimate, gracious, unfolding purposes of God. And she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph was beginning to understand the majesty and the grandeur and the greatness of God. He was beginning to see the hand of God at work. He was beginning to sense that as you're walking, you are learning when it comes to the plans and purposes of God. It's in the obedience, it's in the walking that you learn and this was so new for Joseph, so new for Joseph. Here was Joseph, a carpenter. The word is tecton in its original language. It talks, it means someone who works with wood and stone. 
when Joseph was involved in construction, he would know what it meant to go to a pile of timber and lift up a two by four, look down its length to see if it was straight. He would know the difference between a tenon joint and a dovetail joint and a mortise joint. He would know how to sand it to perfection for the job he had in mind. He could shape and fashion wood and stone to build a home. But here he was now to hold the Son of God asked by God to respond to his call. Can you imagine? God did not go to a Jewish leader of the day. Someone who would be instantly recognizable. Someone whom everyone would know and trust. He went to Joseph, a construction worker, God didn't go to a pediatrician in his own, in Joseph's day, but he went to Joseph. And I imagine for the next nine months, Joseph's head would be exploding in absolute joy, thrilled at all that God had called him to. And he would also realize the enormity because he would lift the Son of God and hold him in his arms. And Joseph would need to model fatherhood and manhood for the Son of God. Can you imagine what was going on in his mind? And over the next nine months, as day by day he went about his business, here was God at work in the life of Joseph. Had Joseph been tempted to think that God had made a mistake? Of course. Did Joseph believe that from now on he would be the perfect father, never make a mistake? No, he knew himself and he knew he would in future make a mistake. He knew at times in the future he would drop the ball. But nonetheless, God was trusting Joseph. And Joseph was to discover That at times God hides the greatest gifts in ordinary packages. And they're often found in unexpected places. Now let me say it again. And if you're taking notes this morning, get it down. God often hides his greatest gifts in ordinary packages. And they are found in unexpected places. That was Joseph's experience. And I imagine after the birth of Christ and subsequent weeks and months, that Mary and Joseph enjoyed great intimacy and love in their family home as a couple watching this wee one, their firstborn, play under the kitchen table. Did Joseph take cushions off the couch and build a fort and play with him and wrestle with him and tickle him and chase him around the house? I imagine he would. And Joseph in his mind realized that God was so close he could pick him up and sit him on his knee. Can you imagine that? And here is Joseph 
the quiet man of the Christmas story, blessed of God. And this morning you may be here saying, Richard, I understand what you're telling us. I think I get it. But we don't live in the first century. We live in the 21st century. Over the last four or five weeks since Thanksgiving, there has been $30.5 billion spent at retail stores. Over $45 billion spent online. More than $493 spent on Christmas trees. Some 2 billion parcels have gone through the hands of the U.S. Postal Service. That's not counting FedEx or UPS or any of the others. We live in a busy, frantic 21st century. It's easy to look back and romance the first century. It's easy to look back and imagine all that Joseph went through. But Richard, I need something to take home this morning. Give me something that I can apply this Christmas week as we move towards the wonder and joy of Christmas Day itself. Well, let me suggest three things, and we've touched on them already. Number one, God never, ever calls us to stand back and be an observer. He never called Joseph to that. He doesn't call us to that. Number two, there are times when God hides, as we said a few moments ago, his greatest gifts in ordinary packages, and they are often found in unexpected places. Are you sensitive to all that God is doing in your life during this Advent season? Are you taking time to spend with him, engage with him, interact with him? Is his voice speaking clearly to you? Or are we lost in the kerfuffle and confusion of all the busyness of Christmas? Thirdly, sometimes God is to be found in our most difficult and challenging circumstances. Because please remember, when Joseph's world was falling apart, the girl he was absolutely in love with gave him devastating news, and he thought it was all over. There was God at work. There was God at work. And over these next few days... Slow down. Pause. Take your time. Appreciate the enormity of what we celebrate and give thanks to him for all that we will enjoy this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the story of Joseph. Thank you for all that we have learned of him today. Enable us, please, over these next few days, to slow down, to pause, to breathe, to rest in you, and to listen to all that you have called us to. And allow us, please, as we walk through those 
warren trails, that solid ground, those proven pathways that we will sense your presence and your hand upon us. In Jesus' name we pray.